Welcome everyone to the Partner Up Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Viancourt, a former introverted small towner who now adds value to businesses by sharing the most effective ways to grow and scale using affiliate and influencer partnership strategies. I'll share the lessons I've learned over the past 15 years while helping my clients generate more than $100 million in sales. We'll also dive into productivity hacks, mindset, and the newest trends from real case studies and expert interviews. You're just one partnership away from changing your business. So get ready, partner up, and profit. Let's get into it. All right, what's going on, everyone? Today, we've got Adam Greenfeld on the podcast. And for over nine years, he's been a noteworthy leader in the startup and e-commerce space. And you may know him from his work as a co-founder of Thesis. And Thesis is an amazing, customized nootropics company. And they've been doing wonderful things and working with influencers. So that's why I brought him on today's podcast. He's been developing really great systems that I've been a fan of. And I've been looking at Thesis for a long time because I like to reverse engineer what I see working. And he's developed a performance ad creative seven-figure formula for basically getting getting influencers to say the right things to make your ads convert. So we're going to cover how to attract influencers, how to work with them properly, and then how to get them to do effective performance creatives, otherwise known as ads. We're also going to talk about how to build a culture that's going to nurture a scaling company and everything in between. So the one ask I have today is please like, share, and comment. Just if you can share with one person that might benefit from these episodes and this content, I would be forever grateful. Right now, let's dive into the episode. All right, Mr. Adam Greenfeld, welcome to the Partner Up Profits Podcast, man. I'm excited to have you here. Dude, I'm excited to be here. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate this. I'm looking forward to mind melding and really going deep into marketing and copy and everything that I know you're an expert in. And I was really looking forward to getting you here to extract all those golden nuggets in your head and what you've built with Thesis, which, by the way, I've been studying for many years, of course, always studying the competition, what's working, looking at things. And you guys built an amazing company with the new Tropics side of the business. So very excited to have you here and for you to share all the winning formulas. So in this episode, talk to Adam before the episode, like what are the pillars going to be? And we're going to talk about it influencers. We're going to talk about performance ad creatives. And then what goes behind the scenes of building these high scaling companies? Because it becomes a point where culture is very important. And I'm learning that firsthand as we build bioptimizers in Utopia in the same levels and going deeper. So yeah, man, I'm excited for all those different pillars and topics. But before we get into this, what's something interesting about yourself that not many people know? I think probably something that's really interesting was I was a second degree black belt when I was 12. My mom, growing up, I loved Ninja Turtles. And when I was seven, I was like, I want to do karate, mom. I grew up in upstate New York. She brought me to this karate studio and I just fell in love with the teacher and for the next seven years like it was my entire life and when I was like 12 13 I like fell in love with baseball and team sports and transitioned away from martial arts but even at 39 I'm still pretty flexible for a guy are you still practicing are you still like in the martial arts much less spend a lot of time in the gym a lot of time moving my body a lot of time doing calisthenics a lot of time surfing now living so close to the ocean but really never got back to martial arts in its purest combative form but you bring discipline now into the business side. I think that's really cool. Starting with martial arts, team sports, and you start to apply that to the rest of everything you do in life. I still call people sir and ma'am because it was just like so drilled into my head when I did martial arts. Let's get into like a formal bio of yourselves. Over, over the past nine years, Adam's been a noteworthy leader in the startup e-commerce space. We all may know him from, of course, thesis. But Adam, you mentioned something interesting in this feedback. You said that you're credited contributing to the move of the NBA's nets to Brooklyn as well as launching several startups whose failures led to the eventual success of Thesis. So that's an interesting pivot 
in your career? What, what was that? What was going on there? Yeah, like right out of college, I uh, went to go work in the NBA. I was a big sports fan growing up. And my dream job was to have a really sexy business card. And my favorite team was the Nets. And so this is when we were still in New Jersey. And I worked for the Nets all of my 20s in the front office. And then was a big part of moving the Nets to Brooklyn, to opening Barclays Center, to moving the Islanders over to Barclays Center, which was eventually a failure and the Islanders moved back. But yeah, I worked in like sales and marketing and pro sports all of my 20s. Man, that's crazy. How did you get into thesis and nootropic side? Was that just mentally wanted to get more from your mind and you started going down the biohacking route or how'd that lead you there? Yeah, there were a couple steps. When I turned 30, I left the Nets and spent six months backpacking around Southeast Asia, volunteering and working wherever I could. I came back with this like really deep sense after having been for so long in third world countries of the impact that I could make in the world. And so I became obsessed with this idea of doing something that made the world a better place to live in, a healthier and easier place to live in. And so then I started getting really involved in venture backed businesses, early stage, using what I was really good at on like the biz dev side and the growth side, worked at a couple venture backed businesses, started a couple venture backed businesses, they all failed. And then within the process of trying to acquire knowledge so quickly, right? Because when you're an early stage founder or an early employee at an early stage business, like the only advantage you really have is the speed in which you can acquire new information. And so when I meet founders and they're like, I have this thing and I have this idea and I'm building it and here's our traction and this, that, and the other, what I am really looking at, because when I look at like the success of Dan and I with Thesis, the thing that we were good at was we acquired knowledge violently fast. And we applied it violently fast. And that was because like we understood our learning patterns and we understood how we learn and the people we learn from. So anyhow, back up a little bit. I know I'm getting all over the place, but while starting some of these earlier businesses, I was really struggling to be able to sit down and focus long enough to learn and then execute on certain tasks. And it was like 2015 when I really started to discover nootropics for the first time. And it was through a mentor friend of mine. At that point, I was the COO of a fashion startup and working 18-hour days and just so overwhelmed and under-resourced and underqualified for the bit for the job that I had. And I remember calling in a friend, a mentor of mine to come in and help and he spent a whole day with me and uh, he was like, the real issue here is that you can't focus long enough to complete any one task. And I, I don't think there's a strategy problem here. I don't think there's much of too, there's a little bit of a resource problem, but not that much of a resource problem. You have a focus problem. And he gave me my first nootropic. I remember waking up the next day, taking it and within 45 minutes, feeling like I was wearing horse blinders and tasks that normally took me three hours are now taking me 45 minutes. I'm able to task switch at really quick paces. I'm able to recalibrate after being distracted much faster than I had been before. Like for example, at that point I had eight employees working for me and they loved the popping into my office being like, Hey, got a minute, which is like the most toxic thing for monkey mind leader. But that's what they did. And if someone jumped into my office, it would take me like 15 minutes 
to recalibrate to whatever deep work I was doing. But then once I found the right nootropic, I was able to do that recalibration in two minutes. And so I did this simple calculation. If I'm getting 10 God a minute meetings a day at 15 minute recalibration, that's 150 minutes of wasted deep work. But if you take that down to two minutes, you know, that's only 20 minutes of wasted recalibration time. So I literally gained back 130 minutes of my day just in got a minute meeting recalibration to deep work. So long story short, I was like, holy shit, the whole world needs to have these. I can only imagine what the world is going to be like, how much more efficient it's going to be, how many more miracles we're going to see, how many more people are going to be helped if I can just give people a little bit more control of their brain. And so a couple months later, I left that role and started my first nootropics company, which I ran for about a year and a half before joining Dan and starting what is now Thesis. Yeah, nootropics are a game changer. And like you said, you put the blinders on, productivity goes up and anybody looking to monetize their minds, that's my kind of tagline for nootropics. It's, if you're in this game, you're a copywriter, you're a CEO, CEO, high-performing person who relies on their mind to get things done and context switching. It's so detrimental whenever that's happening. You can't get back into focus zone. So big fan of thesis, nootropics in general, the good ones. What I really like too, and there's a quote that I pulled up before this call, and it's basically, knowing the truth is fairly useless, feeling it's profound, but living it makes all the difference. And it's mm -hmm. by David Dida. And I wanted to kind of preface this conversation with the fact that I like bringing in guests who are living this, and they're not just teaching it, have never done it, or the opposite if they never really done it themselves but they have teams to do it you're like the star of the show but you're also behind the scenes mathematician like you're the formula creator on these ad frameworks that we're going to get into today so i just think it's really interesting when we can pull people in from behind the scenes as to what they're doing to move the needle for the company in your case you're wearing both hats behind the scenes but also the front of house i want to provide as much knowledge and info as we can on today's call to everyone listening who wants to create winning ad formulas, work with influencers, and just understand when you get to that level of scale, let's really build a culture. And you've done all three. So let's go into the first kind of pillar, influencer marketing. We've worked with influencers quite a bit. I still think that there's so much to learn from different categories of companies and how people process and work with influencers. How have you scaled thesis to well over seven figures, probably eight figures now? What was your strategy and what worked really well and what didn't with influencers in the beginning? Yeah, so I think like the biggest mistake we made and it really wasn't a mistake. I think it was just because we weren't aware of it is we spent way too much time on Instagram and just like doing deals on Instagram and trying to recruit Instagram only or Instagram first influencer. And this is many years ago and maybe it's changed now and I'm not so in the weeds anymore. On it. But when we changed the game was when we realized that people on YouTube's the thing, YouTube and email newsletters and then podcasts. Podcasts, we can talk about a little bit from what actually works. There's fewer of them that work, but once you find a couple that work, like it's gold, but it can be expensive to test. Anyhow, I think like the big first breakthrough we had was when we were like YouTube and focus on YouTube. It depends on how you're going to look at your influencer program. If you're looking at it as a brand marketing, like if it's sitting under brand marketing and awareness side, fine. Like that comes with a bunch of different KPIs and then you can lean a little bit heavier into Instagram and 
TikTok potentially. If it's strictly a performance channel, so I want to spend a dollar and make a dollar fifty or whatever it is, once we figured out YouTube, once we figured out that YouTube was the place to play. And then in terms of actually what to do on YouTube, we found a lot of success in ultra niche creators. At the beginning, I was like, oh, I need to talk to all the biohacking people and then all the keto people and then all of the health and wellness people. And then all of the, I was like, I need all like the study tip influencers. In reality, the influencers that worked best for us were like, we crushed with this gun review influencer. So he literally reviews guns on YouTube and he's just so credible. And it was more about his personality. And then the way that we were able to weave him having better focus into him being able to perform better at the range. He had a lot of focus credibility, but from the outside, you wouldn't tell that people would actually take advice from him from focus product. Mm -hmm. I got lucky because I did this huge search in terms of like energy drink reviews. And he had done this one energy drink review, like a throwaway promotion. But so I reached out because at that point I was like spraying and praying and he got back to me. We did a video. It annihilated. This is early on in thesis, but it annihilated. And then from there, we just fanned out. And then we were doing deals with all these like military YouTubers that were like on bases in Afghanistan and they were crushing. All of a sudden we're shipping dozens and dozens of product to Iraq and Afghanistan and all these US based people who were abroad. And then it fanned out from there. That's interesting. And so we went after poker players at some point, still not that off the beaten path, but I think what you're really highlighting that a lot of people don't do it the right way or I've seen, it's like they're going after the competitor's market as opposed to finding a harmonized, slightly different market. It's like, I think of blue light blocking glasses, okay? I want to find out who they're advertising with on a podcast because they're not selling the product provided I'm not selling blue light blockers, but I'm selling a harmonized avatar product to the same customer. So I like that idea. And that's interesting with who you picked and I would never even considered it. So I think that's a hot one to model. Why YouTube and why podcasts in your opinion? I have mine, but I want to hear yours as well here. Yeah, the net that is like a product like nootropics is complex, right? You're putting a something in your body. It's working on your brain. That's scary. And so we need to take into consideration for us, we're always optimizing on building credibility. I think with YouTube, people are just more invested. It's a little bit longer form. The followers and listeners of YouTube and podcasts innately respect and value the opinion and thought process of these creators, which is different than someone's funny. We've had some success with comedians as well, but if you're funny in six or eight seconds, it's different than being funny in a long form, hour long conversation or 10 minute video of being funny. So yeah, I think it just comes down to credibility, longer form, and then just people are much more willing to click a link in YouTube and podcasts than they are on Instagram for our product. You're on to something and I always look at it as like an omni-channel halo like how can I do a bunch of deals with the same people so there is opportunities with Instagram or maybe TikTok but I think what you're highlighting is that there is a more primed crowd podcast you think of a podcast somebody's listening to this for 60 minutes maybe that's a long-term investment so they're going to take this feedback to the biggest degree possible YouTube as well it's a learning platform it's a credibility platform but there's also who's on these devices when they're watching these videos I'm on Instagram I'm probably scrolling through mindlessly with my thumb and a story pops up and it's gone within 24 
24 hours, yet I had to pay the same CPM rate that I did maybe for a YouTuber. I like YouTube because of the long tail effect, specifically if they're building videos that are lasting and it's not like dynamic placements. So I think specifying like the ads we're talking about, and then we can go deeper on that. And it, I think most people would be aware of it. Like dynamic placements, they don't live on. And it's like an ad over top of a video versus a baked in, what I call baked in, ad in a video that lives for long periods of time. And provided that person doesn't get canceled or deletes their videos, that video is going to make you and possibly them money for a long time. So with regards to making money, how did you guys attract people in the beginning? Because people don't know or trust you yet with regards to influencers. And I know what it's like. You have to go pay to play a lot of times. But how did you evolve and what kind of deals were you doing? Was it a lot of rev share, split deals, or just pay to play and you guys scaled on the back end with the creative? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of heavy lifting on my side. I like doing BD. Like, I enjoy getting on the phone with people and learning about them and asking about them and investing in who they are, at least for the 30 or 45 minutes that I'm on the phone with them. And then I enrolled them in the vision. It was like, we were doing this thing to make the world an easier and more high fidelity experience for people. Mm -hmm. And I think when me, the founder, got on the phone and before I talked business, I like in detail laid out how the world that I want to raise my kids in and what that looks like and what that feels like and then how I spend every single day manifesting that for everyone in this business. I think it creates a little bit of a bond. Then it's just like old school sales tactics, right? Ask more questions. Let them talk more than you talk. You know, ask them what their motivation is. Like, why are they doing this? What do they want to get out of it? Then I would present next steps, which would be a nice way of being like, here's what I want you to do for me in direct relation to what they just told me lights them up and what they want. And someone came back to me and was like, I just want to meet new people and I just want to experiment with new things. Okay, great. So that's what I deliver to them. For me, this is like a pure money thing. And I did my YouTube to create ad revenue and here's my great. And so then I assess it like that. And so we were very cash strapped at the beginning, much less cash strapped now, but I had to do a bunch of rev share deals. And then once I really wanted to play on YouTube, we had to pay to play. I just created as much of a predictive model as I could. And obviously the preliminary stuff is going to be like, what's their CPM? And can I do a half upfront and then half rev share? And, and then what I was also doing was I was basically taking whatever my Facebook CPA was, and I was like reducing it five bucks or six bucks, and I was offering it to them as the affiliate number or like the payout, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm technically saving money versus Facebook, but I'm also giving them a lot more than the 20 or 30% or whatever. So for some special people that worked really well, they en we ended up doing a couple deals with influencers where it was just like a specific number up front, which was very generous for them, but for us was still beating our Facebook number. And some of those guys were seeing 15, 20K checks a month. I like that. I never thought of it that way, which is basically taking like your cost per acquisition of a customer on a different platform and offering it on a CPM basis back to an affiliate, which might be way more than just like 10, 15%, whatever the rev share commission might typically be. But one thing is like teaching them, because we've had affiliates that are still making six figure cash checks coming in on an annual basis from a video from like four years ago. So it's like that. case studies be like, hey, this is the playbook they use. 
I don't have to, I don't have to tell them numbers. I don't have to tell them exactly who it is, but it's like person X, he exists or she exists, but that's the playbook they use. We're going to offer it to you. So I like the educational component of teaching because some of these people are brand new to this side of the business. I think if you can add value in an education standpoint, being like, we know what works if you say these things, which is going to bring us to the next conversation of building like ad formulas and ad frameworks, which I know you're awesome at. One thing that I have noticed though, is that there's times where YouTubers and maybe you've got a strategy to get them over the finish line, but they take a long time. They agree to it. They see some value, but it's the daunting task of this is going to take me three months to, to record, edit, shoot, and I can't do it. I don't know if you've experienced that, but from our perspective, we have, and we're still trying to solve that. And sometimes it's not even the money. We'll pay you up front and it's like, it still doesn't get them moving. So what are some strategies to get them like going and taking action? I'm not the expert there, sadly. <laughs> One of my best friends is an enormous influencer, yeah. tens of millions of followers, spend a lot of time with them. And he'll have a deal, 100K for a video, and he just won't be able to make it. He'll like literally call me. He'd be like, hey, can you just sit with me while I do this thing? There's a blockage. And like, I have it too. It just lives in different places where there's just like moments I have like this thing, this resistance. A lot of times it's like when I have to pay my taxes or I just don't want to do it. And I know it means a lot of money one way or another, but there's something in my brain. And we all have that person that we call for me. It's like calling my mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my mom, I don't want to do this. And okay, honey, let's break it down. What's the first thing you can do? And yeah, we had the exact same thing. Again, doing influencer stuff as the co-founder of a business, it's like one of 55 things I have to do. And so when someone was dragging their feet, making the thing, it was just like, I just couldn't prioritize it. And so I never really invested a lot of time in thinking about it and maybe async or, or off this, you and I can dive in and figure out maybe some strategies. But yeah, it's a toughie. I just don't have a good answer. Fair enough. I think it's all interpretive. Every time you're dealing with a new deal, a new partner, it's going to motivate them like you said, ask questions, see what they value, see what they want. Maybe there's a signing bonus. Maybe there's a completion bonus. Get it done in like month and you get X amount over that one flat payout we're going to give you. It's interesting. I think that you mentioned you're 39, I'm 37, getting gray in the muzzle, long in the tooth. And literally, I don't want to do my to-do list anymore and I'm just more resentful as things build up. I honestly think it's like age. I just don't want to do as many things anymore. I want to do the things I love to do, which I try to, like as you would, anybody smart does. It's like you want to eliminate all the crap that you don't want to do. But yeah, I hear you. And usually the argument arguments go back to, you said your mom, it's just, I argue with myself most of the time. <laughs> Let's talk about performance and ad creatives. So provided that we can get some influencers and we've got some content coming in now, let's talk about like your formula. Cause you've got like a pretty laid out plan and framework, which we've looked at on an occasion or two. Walk us through, do you guide every single influencer on exactly what to say at every given time? And what's your process to give them the blueprint for success and for yourself to be successful? Yeah, I think from a overall theory, standpoint, I very much prescribe to this idea of first, let's understand how the buyer wants to buy the thing. And then we backtrack. So there's this theory called the problem evangelism theory, which is actually a cognitive bias that is much more prevalent in the West where basically says that the person or brand or company or entity that best articulates the problem that you're up against is automatically most qualified to solve it. And this really rings true and has been 
used at in like direct marketing since the 30s, right? If you look at like all like the old headline writing and all the newsstand kind of stuff and you really break it down, it really goes into like first evangelizing the problem. And what that does is from the person who's watching or consuming the piece of content, the goal is to be like, this person really understands what I'm up against in life. This person really understands what my plight is. And the way that the human brain works is that we automatically subconsciously associate the articulation of the problem as being the best person to solve it. This was heavily leveraged in the early 2000s during the SaaS boom in Silicon Valley. If you looked at a lot of the early, like very high growth internet companies, when they launched, they would just tell everyone how messed up their current process and system is. And then they would just say, and so we fixed it. And it, they realized that people didn't really care about how the widget was built or what was in the widget. What they really cared about was that the brand knew what was wrong. And then they just wanted to know that they fixed it and they were willing to give it a try, especially if it was relatively low risk or something with money back guarantee or whatever. And so the way that I look at ads is like, we get really good at articulating the problem. And articulating the problem in a very sincere, real way. And it's not just articulating the problem, what I look, would consider like the first degree of impact, but like looking at the second, third, and fourth degrees of impact. So for example, we'll take nootropics, right? First degree of impact problem is I can't focus. And so the question I was asking myself is, okay, so then what? So then I fall behind at work. Okay, so then what? So my boss gets pissed at me. So then what? My boss gets pissed at me. They make me stay later and finish the work. So then what? So then I miss my kids ball game. So then what? So actually I don't build a really long lasting lifelong relationship with my son. And so what we would talk about a lot, especially when we were evangelizing problems on the thesis side is I would talk about what it was like growing up and really having a hard time with attention issues. And we would stop there. And then we would talk a little bit about how that impacted the relationship with my parents because I was always procrastinating because all I wanted to do was lay on the couch and that caused like a real big separation between my mom and I and my mom being like the most important person in my life that was the heartbreaking part and so what we want to do is actually we sold nootropics against building a better relationship with your mom and so like really understanding what someone's going through and think about it and now I use ChatGPT for this. If you've ever been interested in leveling up in partnership marketing, including affiliate and influencer marketing, as well as developing stronger partnerships and making better connections, then I want to invite you to check out PartnerUpProfits.com. It's a passion project dedicated to helping you simplify your business and personal life by giving you access to done-for-you templates, blueprints, and systems related to partnership marketing that you can instantly start to use and see results from. I've always been a systems guy, and the beauty of systems is that it takes the guesswork out of the process and gives you a plan that you can use immediately while saving you time and effort. So you'll get access to free training and courses on everything partnership marketing related to level up your knowledge. And because I have a soft spot for the boots on the ground folks out there who are expected to get more done in less time using less money, the systems I'm giving you are based on a bootstrap budget so you don't need to spend thousands of dollars right out of the gate. Just go to PartnerUpProfits.com and sign up through my free course to get my productivity toolbox, which includes templates for scorecards, objective planning, relationship tracking templates, 
productivity hacks, opportunity calculators, time blocking templates, and a whole bunch more cheat sheets being added regularly that will totally transform you into a partnership marketing expert and productivity ninja. You can also get access to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Influencer Marketing course that has over two hours of content where I'll teach you the right way to start working with influencers, including how to outreach, prospect, and close deals and start developing more partnerships and building your influencer army. Go to PartnerUpProfits.com and get access now. Literally prompt ChatGPT. I'll give ChatGPT all the first order problems, and then I'll give them an example of what other places in their life that having this problem could impact. And then I'll let ChatGPT just develop a bunch of stories and scenarios. And then I would take those and I'll work with UGC creators and I'll help unfold in their life where having a focus deficiency or having an energy deficiency or having an over propensity to procrastinate or avoid things where this impacts them and I'll allow them to use. So basically the getting back to like a repeatable structure of an ad a hook, but hopefully a hook that really evangelizes a problem, then a problem statement, which gets into the second and third order impacts of the problem, a very simple solution. And you're seeing this a lot now where it's, and then I found this thing and it changed my life and that's fine. But we also need to make sure that it's coming across like super sincere. I think like people have a really high bullshitometer on meta right now. And especially when you're running ads, coming across sincere, not being afraid to sound sad or pissed off or angry. I've worked with UGC creators specifically because like they have this deep ingrained skepticism and anger. <laughs> And that resonates really well with people. You don't always have to be so happy. Okay, so moving forward, going back. Hook with a problem statement, evangelizing the problem, breaking it down, simple solution. Then there's a bunch of other, call them modules or things that we hit. And then what we'll do in post is move them around to figure out how to optimize the ads. So generally it's features. So it's we'll record three to five features and then we'll sub them in and out. We like to do an authentic testimonial. So we'll film like, hey, it's not just me, but I actually, a friend of mine took this product before and this is what they told me about it. Or we've done, hey, here's what celebrities have said about this product. Literally have the UGC actor read that. We revisit the solution. So towards the end of the ad, it'll be like, I had this problem. I found this product. Here's why I love the product. Here's what other people said about the product. And that could also be like, and they have 10,000 five-star reviews on Google or whatever it is. And then we'll revisit the solution and it'll go back. And now here are all the places in my life that have been fixed because of it. What we're also seeing now and starting to put into ads is negative. So to increase the credibility, like it's a statement that basically says, this may not be for you if. This works really well with some of these hydration companies where they'll be like, hey, if you really hate salty flavor, this might not be for you. They'll see on those ads where they put that statement later on, it'll increase click-through rate. And then a really nice, and then a really great CTA, which we, or a call to action, which I'll generally shoot five or six CTAs and then make a bunch of iterations with different CTAs. It's not the thing that really moves the needle. It's 
like a nice to have, not a have to have if you shoot one or two CTAs, as long as you have a CTA. And then if you have different offers, like shooting the different offers. Yeah, I think those are like the main modules that we're using right now. I'm sure there's a bunch of others that, that we put in, but that's like basically the UGC formula that we're using that's working. I'd say the problem evangelism and the sincerity and the realness of the creator are the biggest levers. Yeah. <laughs> Laying out the formula. I, I love that. I love the emotional based storytelling, deeper layer, not just this is going to help you sleep. Great. I want sleep. It's not. You want that deeper level, the sub- unconscious, subconscious thing that's happening that is going to directly affect your life in some way you didn't even think of. So I like that. I like the AI prompts. <laughs> Would love to see like what that script looks like one day. And I like the fact that you're not doing a shotgun blast. Oftentimes, and I've made this mistake too, to this day, I still am trying to hone in with like creative guidance as opposed to, hey, what did they say? Could we boost that and amplify it? Did they say anything? And maybe it converted with their audience. And that's usually the indicator for me. It's we paid them 5000 made seven so we broke even and made a couple sales let's whitelist it now but the targeting and the prospecting it's irrelevant now because their audience might not be the people we're targeting anymore so i like the idea of controlling the creative guidance using a framework that's repeatable and you said it's like a whisper not really a shout from the rooftop here for the call to actions but what incentivizes that click more than anything beyond everything we just talked about is there anything like whether it's an offer like gift with purchase a discount or like what tactically can people start implementing in their ads to see a bit of a boost a gift with purchase for all my e-commerce buddies who are like really elite these are like guys doing well over a hundred million dollars a year they all say gift with purchase is their biggest lever so it's pretty simple if you're smaller we heavily discount subscriptions and then we also do this free quiz so for us the quiz is like the back backbone of our business. We're a data science company that makes recommendations and creates personalized formulas. So like we, the quiz is so instrumental to like us being able to do our job, but at the same time, people love it. And so what we do is like, we give away all the recommendations for free. You don't have to buy anything to get art. And so I think what ends up happening, and and this was something that I think we always talked about since the early days was like, if you want to take our recommendations and go source all this stuff yourself, I love that more people that are taking nootropics, the better. And we were always ultra transparent with what was in it. And I think the proprietary blend world is on its way out because so many people were just like, I want to know what's in my shit. A lot of people just like taking the quiz and then we get emails at the end of the quiz. Like a lot of our CTAs are like, hey, take this three minute quiz and get free results, get free recommendations. And then once you get the recommendations, if you want us to make it, here's how much it costs. But like most of our CTAs are around just taking the quiz, like a, a small preliminary action. I like that. Yeah, quiz is a bit big and I'm not surprised that they're working here too. And I think by personalizing it for them, instantly getting their attention, it's like, okay, I'm building something for myself here. You're getting the investment right out of the gate in a lot of ways. So yeah, I think that's super exciting. Just everything you mentioned, I'm just digesting it and I want to go deeper, but I want to be mindful of time too. And I want to move into like, how big is thesis? What has changed culturally as you started from maybe a team of two, three, four, five to wherever you're at now and how important it is to nurture. And I think starting with the end in mind of the culture, like where do you want to be? How are people feeling? What's the mission? Similar to how you're selling partners. You have to sell like that team mentality. So what's been your experience and how are you guys like adapting and evolving it? Yeah. So Thesis is doing great. We just raised a series A from some really incredible investors who know the space and care about the space and have like deep e-com and retail experience. So the business is doing good. 
that way. The team is ever growing. I am no longer running the business day in, day out. It got to a point where transparently, I'm really good early stage when we're like maybe two to maybe 25 or 30 employees. But once we got past that, it was time for me to hand off the reins to my co-founder, Dan, who is such an exquisite CEO and so smart and hands down the most impressive e-com operator and nootropics formulator that I've ever come across in all my years. So the business under his full-time leadership is crushing. Okay. So early stage when it was like the two of us in a coffee shop versus when we brought on our first few employees. For us, even throughout the pandemic, we still kept everybody in the office. So for us, it was like always being in person. We loved being in person. And even now I'm running a creative studio full-time and still working with thesis part-time, but working from my house, I still feel like distant. Like I want to be around more people. I think like a big decision that Dan and I made very early on and we stuck to it was like having an office culture and everyone around each other all the time, which became a little suspect during COVID, but we pushed through and we did it and it made recruiting a little bit harder. But for some people, it was great. When we recruited, we always like people that really cared about the mission of the company. So I call it the give a shit a meter. And so people that like, yes, we're good, especially like early Early employees. So this was like employees three through 15 or 16. Niacal that they were like into health and wellness and they had health and wellness practices and they cared about the brain and they wanted to research this and they were listening to Huberman podcast or they were doing cold plunges. And so in addition to being good at your individual thing, you also lived and breathed the problem that we were trying to solve. And then as a company, we heavily invested in the growth and development of our people. And so that meant basically like on the last interview, I would sit with them and I would be like, hey, listen, my only goal is that you leave this company a better version of yourself than you showed up. And I would literally ask them like, what do you want to get better at in the office and out of the office? And so we had goals. We had thesis goals. And then we had out of the office goals. Thesis goals might be, I need to write six new landing pages, or I need to sign up for new partners or whatever that is. Or I need to send structure a new trial for our new formulation, or I need to source new for our engineers. We need to write code when we were re redesigning the website. But then for every week, people also had out of the office goals, meaning I want to journal five times this week. I want to finish this book I've been working on for six months. I want to go to the gym four times. I want to research a retreat that. And so each time we did updates, so we had standups, you would report on both goals. And we were responsible as teammates of keeping you compliant to your thesis goals and keeping you compliant to your out of office goals. I remember getting calls. We had hired a head of operations, this rock star, really good guy who's from this big company. We loved him. He was our number one choice. And we he came. And in the final interview, we met his wife. We all had dinner together. He brought his wife into the city. He was living out of the city at the time. And so we met his wife. So his wife had our contact information. Five months later, I get a text from his wife. What did you do with my husband? I've been trying to get this guy for 10 years to eat healthier, to go to the sauna. I've been begging him to have a cold plunge at our house. He works with you for four months. This guy eats better than me. He trains more than me. Everyone out of company had an order ring. He bought a sauna. He bought a cold plunge. 
challenge. He's doing it every day because the goal was always to grow thesis and was to grow the individual. And my goal was always the only goal I ever had because thesis can go belly up. But I need you to leave this place, leave every interaction with me, a better, more evolved version of yourself. This is downstream of a teaching that I got from one of my main teachers, one of my main mentors, a guy named Eitan Yardeni, based in New York. And um, he's an incredible guy, but he always used to say, you can't make someone happy at work. Happiness at work should not be the goal. It's too subjective. There's too many confounding factors to happiness. There's too many things. What you can do is you can make someone excited to be at work. And if you take an excited person, and excited is very easy. Either you are not binary, either you are not excited or you are excited, right? It's very easy to say when I am excited and when I am not excited. But So if you ask an excited person if they're happy, 95% of excited people are going to say I'm also happy rather than being like asking, trying to figure. So optimizing for excitement was lesson two was what's the formula that goes into creating excitement. And there are, there's two very specific inputs that creates excitement for work. Input one is, are you doing something that has an impact greater than you. So it could be, are you doing something that has like an impact on the world? But it could also be, are you doing something that makes the lives of the four people around you better, easier, or more interesting? But it's got to be, are you having an impact in your job? Does your job make something bigger than you better? Small group, large group, but you have to have this feeling that what you do every day is making a larger collective community have a more enriching experience in life. And then the second input is, are you leaving the office a better at something you care about than you came? Let better version. So it was impact and growth. If you can do impact plus growth, almost always equals excitement. Excitement always equals happy. So it's wasting your time to try to make people happy at work. You're just not gonna. It's, it's not a place to, but you can make them excited. And then you have these two very controllable things. Make them learn and make sure they're constantly reminded that they're making the world around them a better place. Like most of the time that I would sit in front of our team when I was there full time was talking about the impact that we were making on the world. And I would constantly be reading user testimonials. And we had channels on Slack and I would just talk about it all. And I think that helped. So That's powerful. Lip service can only take you so far. I think a lot of people say, yeah, we want the best for you. We want all this and you're going to get it actually putting that into practice though and setting goals i think i'm going to pick that up and we're going to run a bit more with it with the companies and teams that i'm with today because i think that we do oftentimes say hey what's everyone up to but everyone's a little bit hesitant to like even talk about it but some people are doing really incredible things and i think if we all put eyes on it and a focus just like a kpi for sales exists we have a kpi for personal development the core values in environment and culture those are huge things and the mission the fact that you're there screaming at the top of your lungs or singing the praises every single week that's a great leader and that's a great sustainable company and mission that's going to keep going so Love that, man. I know we're over time. Do you got some time for some quick fire questions? Sure. Let me see what I can do. Okay. So we do one question. I'm building this 101 ways to connect better with people, partners, and business development, whatever you have. So I, I like to call it the partner up profits power move. Every time I have a guest on, I ask them, what's something unique that you've done or somebody's done for you that's got your attention? Because there's so much noise these days. And it could be like sending you a personal handwritten note inside a book. It could be a video LCD card. What's been a unique approach that you've used or someone's used on you to get your attention? 
attention. You have to edit out the pause. Okay. So this happened years ago when I was looking for a job. There was a hiring manager. I had obviously applied to the job, didn't get any feedback. I followed the hiring manager on Twitter and he had just tweeted like a Neil Young quote. So I went to a record store and I bought a few like old Neil Young records and I just sent them to his office. And he got back to me. I didn't get the job. I was super underqualified for the job, which is the plight that most people, most people are underqualified for the jobs they want. But, but I got the call and it felt good. It felt good to just like go out of just to be like, yeah, I'm going to invest $25 in trying to get this meeting, 30 bucks to try to get this meeting. It felt good to go out of my comfort zone to think a little bit different to do that. Yeah. I like that. That's going the extra mile. Okay. It's in the playbook, man. Neil Young quotes, albums, it's getting sent. Yeah. <laughs> if they don't have an A-track player, we're going to have to get with them one of those too. Yeah. <laughs> but the cool thing with records is like they can also be displayed and it looks yeah. like the vibes. Yeah. Gifting's big. Everything's accessible these days, right? I can buy anything. Everything's available. And if it's not, you go out and make a product, make a million bucks. So finding something unique, somebody who's never even thought of, I've seen that work quite a bit, so I like that one. Listen, I have a couple more questions, but before that, are you looking to work with people? Are you looking for partners? What exactly would you like people to go after this value bomb episode that you've been delivering on? How can they connect with you? Yeah, listen, I love meeting people. I love being of service, and I love learning from super smart people, specifically like growth marketers. I'm an open book. I know I have so far to go, so much to learn, so many smart people to study, and yeah, someone's listening to this, there's probably something that I can learn from them. So I'd love to connect. Probably the easiest way is just Instagram. I'm like in my DMs pretty often. So just it's at Adam Greenfeld on Instagram and just drop me a DM and we'll set up some time to, to chat. I'll send you my Calendly and we'll get 25 minutes on the call. Awesome, man. That's super generous of you. Yeah. Okay. Last 10 questions. Quick fire. First thing that comes to your mind. We're going to just go through these and knock them out. Favorite food? Yeah, shawarma chicken. Ooh, yeah, man. <laughs> Best memory? Burning Man. Burning Man. All right. If you had another go around and you got to write a new story for your life, what would it be in 30 seconds or less? I think the only thing I would change is I would grow up on the beach rather than in the forest. But I lived a really epic life. My parents are ideal. I've been healthy. I've been protected. I traveled when I was very young. I'd probably put more effort into sports and not be so afraid to be uncomfortable. I'd grow up on the beach and I'd get better sports coaches when I was younger. I'd invest more in like elite training for sports when I was younger and I would grow up on the beach. That's it. Good ones. Nothing wrong with that. What's your best productivity hack and you can't say nootropics? <laughs> yeah. Phone out of the room. It's a good relationship. Phone out of the room for me is like such a game changer. And then I've also been to increase deep sleep. I've been doing, I don't know if New Calm, it's like this binaural beats app. It's like basically a 20 minute meditation. It ends up being a 20 minute nap because it brings you down into this really low theta state. I do that at four or five o'clock. And now I'm able to work like two more hours in the evening where my brain used to really start dying around 536. If I knew calm for 20 minutes, I can work generally till 738 and be like really high productivity. Interesting. You just made them a sale because <laughs> I'll be getting one as long as it's making me more productive in the day. <laughs> yeah. It's an app by Neural Beats. You lay down, you play it. It's awesome. Cool. This is usually a bit of a trick question, but I'm going to ask it in a different way. 
you're obviously don't want to retire in the traditional sense, but what are you doing in like your older years when t- people would typically go into the retirement zone? What do you want to keep doing? What are you passionate about in later in life? If I really ask myself that question, it's surf as much as I can. The days that I'm in the ocean surfing, I'm so happy. This is the destination. I truly feel that way. And so as I get older, like designing my life to have like larger swaths of time, two hours, three hours, a little bit more often to be in the ocean surfing and then just having the setup. So like maybe a house that's a little bit closer. So now I still have to drive a little bit to get to the beach, like slowly getting closer. So maybe one day I just walk out and it's at a break. And then I can't wait to get married. I can't wait to have children. And uh, yeah, just be a dad and be a grandpa and continue to study and learn deep ancient spiritualities and surf and move my body. Man, talking the dream. That's awesome. I love that vision. (laughs) I know you're a big learner, like most high entrepreneur performers are. What's been a book that's changed your life, business or personal? The last one that I read that just completely shifted my paradigm on stuff was Many Lives many masters by brian weiss spiritual book about past lives but i think like there you know for me a lot of productivity i think is stopped because of the over indexing on stress and so when i look at business stuff it's like a lot of what i'm doing now is like control being hyper aware of and controlling stress and one thing that you can do to control stress is to get a really healthy paradigm on actually how important shit is which is not that important and reading a book like many lives many masters and feeling like from a medical perspective like the fact that we've been here before and we will come back and yeah it's important but not that important we put so much importance and stress and on making everything perfect because we only think we have one chance. And if we fuck up this one chance, it's all over. I think having a really healthy perspective on like how big we are. I love pondering the size of the universe and seeing like these videos where you like really get to see like how tiny earth is Mm -hmm. and how tiny we are and like how important all these things are that like keep us up at night really are. They're just not. It's interesting conditioning for sure. The human like behavior where everything is showstopper when it's not. I think you and I have that in common. I'm very much intrigued by the universe and everything that I haven't even been able to think through yet. So I'm going to pick up the book. I love paradigm shifts. One sentence or less, what do you want to be remembered for? Making people feel home. I want people that interact with me to really feel like home. I want to feel home. I want to like comfortable and seen and heard and enriched and motivated. Yeah, I did this. I took the Hoffman, I did the Hoffman process, which is like a seven day retreat in Northern California that's been going on for 50 years and really profound seven days self-development training. And one thing that they really give you a lot of time to, to think through is this question, like, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want people to say at your funeral? Stuff like that. And for me, that's what came up. I want to be like that safety for people. I want to be that place where people feel that they can safely be vulnerable with me and I'll sit with them and I'll listen. I don't need to talk all the time. I know I talked a lot now, but I really enjoy the moments where, you know, I can be something presence for someone that allows them to dig deeper into their mind and to really explore how they feel and how they think about a situation that they previously haven't felt safe to ponder and think. That's huge because it's priceless too, right? You're giving something that 
people can't always even obtain by paying somebody to do that. That's a big one. And you're giving a lot of homework on this call. So I'm excited. Book reading, Hoffman process. I love all these development things. Thanks for sharing. Now, what's one thing, what's one skill? You talked about being a dad and like having kids. And it could be like, if you're thinking of your future kids, what's one skill you'd recommend everyone start to develop as early as possible? to be more successful and impactful in life? I think the one thing that I am spending the most time trying to develop, and I think it's also the thing that has the biggest impact and people around me notice the most is just listening (laughs) and being like this calming presence and just being there and not constantly. And this is like a big difference between me living in Los Angeles and then the 15 years I lived in New York is when I was in New York, like I had something scheduled every 30 minutes. And so from the moment I would sit down with someone, I was already thinking about where I had to go to next. And then once I moved out to, once I moved to California, my, I had more time. I had more space. I would plan things in two to three hour swaths rather than in 30 minute swaths. And so when I think about the type of father I want to be, I envision myself as just being someone who's there and listening and completely non-judgmental. Listen, I, I don't know anything about being a father yet. I'm excited to. I don't know anything. I have zero experience. I have zero credibility on this. But what I want to do is I want to be someone who's my child comes to me and says, I want to try this asinine thing. And I ask them why. And if they can give me like a good, I'm like, let's do it. I don't even care what it is. My son wants to wear dresses or my daughter wants to play football with whatever gender bending incredibleness, I am like effing there for it. And then just allow them the way that my parents just allowed me, they had such a long leash on me growing up. Like they really allowed me to explore anything that I wanted to do things. I had a phase when I was really young where I like wanted to curse all the time. And they were like, yeah, express yourself. That that was really cool. I was like the only kid in town that could curse in front of his parent. And I knew I had a long leash, but because I was able to express myself in that way and feel safe, like I never did any of the dangerous stuff. I never got arrested, never broke the law. I probably broke the, everyone breaks the law, but I wasn't like actively revolting because I knew I had that long leash mm-hmm. and I knew that they accepted me for whatever version of me. So I didn't need to like actively act out to try and upset them to get their attention because I knew they loved me. And they accepted me for whoever I was. And I want to be that parent to my kids. That's powerful. And just from a father's perspective now, like I want to be that too. I think creating space, creating curiosity-based elements as opposed to judgmental reactions. And I think it's great. I didn't have necessarily the same parents. I have very supportive parents. But there was this certain level of expectation or judgment that may be perceived from the outside world. And how do we feel about that? So I want to go the opposite route, but you already have the wiring now, I guess, to, to do that. So being a great leader already, being a great mission-based company owner slash whatever you're doing now, I think that does make you a great father too. It's all the same type of elements as people leading teams, people wanting the best for them. So love that. If we're meeting up in a day from today, what are we celebrating? What are you working at the next year? Like, I got to get that done and I'm going to just be popping the champagne or whatever it is, a nootropics drink. <laughs> yeah. Building a creative agency, I think is where most of my focus is right now. Working with Finding the e-commerce businesses that I believe, that I feel are having the most impact 
impact in making the world like a more enriching, valuable place to live. And then helping them acquire customers a lot less expensively is where a lot of my focus is and I want to see that. And so it's, yes, it's like the overall revenue growth of that or client acquisition of that, but I'm really obsessed with like systems Mm. and like building systems. And so I see this creative studio as a product and like, how do we systematize everything and create processes for everything that doesn't take away from the creative process, doesn't allow us to think that doesn't stifle how big and bombastic we think, but also sets guardrails so that things don't fall through the crack. And so that when someone comes in, when new hires come in, they can immediately just learn from really beautiful playbook. So if I have this really awesome playbook a year from now that I think we can celebrate over a non-alcoholic drink. Love that. I love playbooks. I love systems too, by the way. So you yeah. have my attention and I'll be the first one in line for that. <laughs> now, last question. What's something you've been putting off? Bucket list item or something? You're like, oh man, I really want to be doing that. And I haven't done it yet. Vipassana meditation. It's every quarter. I'm just like, oh, I'll do it next quarter. I'll do it next quarter. But the 10 day completely silent Vipassana meditation is something I'm putting off. Okay. We both have homework then, right? <laughs> we both have homework. <laughs> man, That's a great on. question. That's uh, a great question. That's a big value drive question. Like I said, this is about value creation and business and things like that. But I also just think that it's a good reminder for myself as well as the person we're interviewing to be like, hey, what have we been putting off? What is the balance of life and business here that we've been putting off? And these kind of are questions or prompts that I use myself too. I apply the same deeper level of why am I doing this today? What, who is Joey? Who is Adam? Mm-hmm. It's not just I'm um, the owner. It's the deeper layers. It really means a lot. So I'm happy that you like the questions. I'm super grateful you came on the show today, man, and just spoke some true knowledge, opened up your heart, and really just revealed exactly who you are to us. And I hope that everyone got a lot of value out of this episode and hope it was a bit of fun for you. Dude, what a blast. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys. Adam Greenfeld, get in contact with him. Wait for the playbook. Many big things coming. Check out Thesis, of course, if you want to get some great new tropics in addition to everything else that's happening. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take care. If you've ever been interested in leveling up in partnership marketing, including affiliate and influencer marketing, as well as developing stronger partnerships and making better connections, then I want to invite you to check out PartnerUpProfits.com. It's a passion project dedicated to helping you simplify your business and personal life by giving you access to done-for-you templates, blueprints, and systems related to partnership marketing that you can instantly start to use and see results from. I've always been a systems guy, and the beauty of systems is that it takes the guesswork out of the process and gives you a plan that you can use immediately while saving you time and effort. So you'll get access to free training and courses on everything partnership marketing related to level up your knowledge. And because I have a soft spot for the boots on the ground folks out there who are expected to get more done in less time using less money, the systems I'm giving you are based on a bootstrap budget so you don't need to spend thousands of dollars right out of the gate. Just go to PartnerUpProfits.com and sign up through my free course to get my productivity toolbox, which includes templates for scorecards, objective planning, relationship tracking templates, productivity hacks, opportunity calculators, time blocking templates, and a whole bunch more cheat sheets being added regularly that will totally transform you into a partnership marketing expert and productivity ninja. You can also get access to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Influencer Marketing course that has over two hours of content where I'll teach you the right way to start working with influencers, including how to outreach, prospect, and close deals and start developing more partnerships and building your influencer army. 
Go to PartnerUpProfits.com and get access now. That's all we've got for this Partner Up Profits podcast episode. As always, I hope you leave here today with one new idea that you can apply to your life and business. I'd be forever grateful to you for leaving a review of this episode. And if you like it, rate it a five or give it a thumbs up and just leave a quick comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at partnerofprofits.com on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, you're just one partnership away from changing your business. Let others do the selling for you and get ready to partner up and profit.